A division first place final head-to-head regular season meeting game with a goalie helmet coming off on a push from Winnipeg's Josh Morrissey on Dallas's Jamie Benn, who uses it in going for the puck to take a piece of goalie Connor Halbuck with his shoulder and knock off the goalie's helmet. Halibut then lays on the ice, covering his head with his hands while play continues, and Dallas' Jason Robertson scores the game-tying goal with 20 seconds left. The NHL doesn't, rule-wise, have to stop a play when a goalie's helmet is off unless he is in danger. And so if Hellebeck helmetless, to me, were have been able to get up and stand in his net, logic and not count on all NHL officials to use it, the expectation is play would have been blown down. However, the essentially empty netter by the rule book letter, and let's be honest, that's more shades of gray than I could be bothered to give a fuck to try and explain, but under the current rules, as I understand them, Dallas scored a good goal. That said, if Robertson's shot gets blocked and ends up hitting the helmetless laying on the ice goalie, the NHL is dealing with a whole new, and let's be honest, how little they care for and regard player safety issue. It always comes up. Jamie Benn is a smart player. Upon the push, he knows he has a free pass to make contact, but if he also knew play would stop if the goalie's helmet comes right off in doing so, does he choose to focus on his point of contact on the helmet or does he focus more on getting the puck and making a play otherwise does hellbuck with his helmet off oversell the distress he is in i don't think so but unrelated we have seen goalies with the strap off shake their goalie helmets off to get a stoppage that's a real thing too here's my problem once the helmet is off quite honestly anywhere on the ice For skaters, players have to leave the ice if they can't get it back on quickly for non-goalies. And if a goalie had to do that as well, that's the one positional player that would give another team a way greater advantage if it were the case. They've got exceptional status here, folks. To me, if a goalie's helmet comes off because of contact, the NHL should stop play immediately. If a goalie's helmet is shaken off, by the goalie himself, the NHL should stop play immediately. Let the first time it happens be a warning. The second in-game infraction of shaking it off to get a stoppage, the NHL should stop play immediately and give a two-minute delay of game penalty to the goalie. A replay clearly shows when a goalie is doing a motion to assist his helmet coming off. A replay would also show when a player's contact or stick was the reason a goalie's helmet came off. In essence, then play will always stop when a goalie's mask comes off in play in a game. For example, if what had happened to Hellebuck and Ben Shoulder was the second instance in the game, it wasn't, of Hellebuck's helmet coming off, a replay clearly shows that Hellebuck's helmet was not shook off. Therefore, it wouldn't have been a penalty because the contact by the player is clearly the reason the helmet is off. Likewise, even if it's a player on the same team, it shouldn't be a penalty. And no homerism here equally covered Dallas and Winnipeg and have for several years. Dallas, by the NHL rulebook, scored on that play. 
and the play is allowed to continue. And because the puck goes into an empty, unoccupied, but helmetless goalie net, it's allowed to stand. That's again the current rule book right call. However, it shouldn't be, and the NHL should fix it. And a better way, even if they don't add the delay of game penalty on repeat offenses of a goalie taking advantage of the rule and shaking off his goalie mask of the play being stopped as soon as a goalie's helmet comes off, well, that's better than explaining to fans how little the NHL has for player safety. That it is a goal, and any puck to a non-goalie player's head, wearing a helmet, for example, on a block shot or friendly fire, should probably be blown down because that player probably needs immediate attention. That's the right answer, but it also isn't what the NHL right now does. Welcome to Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm your NHL outsider and Central Division expert, Tim Bigelow. A full podcast would take the three parts and play them by the division standings order. Simply, I knew the runtime was too long to keep them all together, so I divided the sections up this time. Keep in mind, in a division game, the primary game recap is always put win or lose with the team with the better record. So, if you're a true podcast follower, you listen to all the parts. If you're here for your home team only, well, just be aware you might miss a comment related to your team and another team's recap of the same game in that team's segment. Winnipeg versus Chicago, Minnesota versus Arizona are examples of division games this applies to in this three-part podcast. Thanksgiving away Eve games are included almost a last-minute title for this edition just based on who would have thunk it Thanksgiving Eve November 23rd Central Division results with two division head-to-head scratchers for different reasons and otherwise teams not expected to win doing so in the other four matchups Central Division teams were in. Never mind reverse retro jersey night. This turned out to be reverse expected results night. Tier 1 is the three division teams that occupy the top three Central Division spots division playoff ones at the pod's current cutoff so we're talking about dallas winnipeg and colorado in this segment who all now have some point separation on the rest of the division dallas has played more games and it's a worthwhile caveat because head-to-head it was winnipeg and colorado picking up two points in the games covered here versus dallas dallas is ahead by actual points But, for example, prior to the Colorado versus Winnipeg division game Tuesday, November 29th, by points percentage going into that game, both those teams had a better point percentage mark. Dallas, having played more games thus far, does factor into being first. Winnipeg's win kept their point percentage total over Dallas's, but put Colorado's below. But Colorado has the most games in hand, and mathematically, Colorado winning them would point-wise put them ahead by a point of Dallas if they did. In fact, over 20 games played, Dallas and Winnipeg 
had the same point totals. A Colorado regulation win versus Winnipeg would have had Colorado equal to them as well. Instead, with the loss, Colorado were two points back at the same 20-game benchmark. However, if not for the canceled Colorado versus Nashville game due to the water main break, well, we would already know that a Colorado win in that unplayed game would have had all three division teams have 27 points over the first 20 games played. Essentially, this is a near close to even three-team battle for first so far. So we start with the Stars as they have with more games played the most points. Dallas stays atop the Central Division with a 4-1-2 stretch, collecting 10 of a possible 14 points since our last pod to be 13-6-4, 30 points, 652 point percentage, having played three more games than Colorado and two more than Winnipeg. Dallas take a 4-0 first period lead with four different goal getters in Florida and and Panthers goalie Sergei Barbrowski's night. At 5-1, Florida get two more to make it 5-3 through 40 minutes as after two goals against an injury forces Dallas's backup goalie, Scott Wedgwood, who got the start to exit on a stretcher after a big Florida shorthanded chance save. Florida would get one in the third, but a Dallas empty net goal preserves the 6-4 road win for Wedgwood. Dallas's usual starting goalie, Jake Oninger, finished the game. Dallas never trailed in. Rope hints, open scoring, and his near mid-game goal held up as the game winning goal. The second saw Isles score a minute and a half in. Dallas's Radic Faxa, a New York Islander power play goal, Barzell's second of the game and year. Surprised to learn that. And Dallas's Mason Marchment with Jamie Benz setting up both Dallas goals to be tied to all. It's Benz's eighth goal at the time, Jason Robertson's team-leading 12th goal at the time, and an empty net goal that has Dallas win 5-2 at home. Dallas goalie Jake Oninger Stellar, two goals against 27 saves, and Dallas D-man Ryan Suter sweeping away a sure Isles goal in the third. Colorado's Kale McCarr's power play one-timer blast has the Avs up 1-0 on the Stars. Dallas's Jason Robertson gets a shot and a cross-check from Colorado's Andreas Anglund into the net, but upon review, it's a goal. 1-1 through 40. Colorado's Alex Newhook's net front 206 goal into the third holds up until Dallas's Robertson second of the game team leading 14th at the time with the goalie pulled forces extra time with 26 seconds left in regulation dallas goalie jake outager outstanding 33 save night dimmed as he gives up the lone shootout goal for colorado's 3-2 shootout road win at the time team leading 19th goal for dallas's jason robertson in the first makes it one nothing through the first a returning to the lineup chicago defenseman seth jones gets his first andre athanasiu and connor murphy jams a goal in that front in a three goal middle frame to have the blackhawks up three to one after 40. Chicago's Max Domi's rebound goal adds to the lead, but he takes a penalty right after, and Dallas get a Jamie Benn power play goal. Less than 10 minutes left in regulation. Goals by Mason Marchment. A tip from Ty Delandria ties it, and Erratic Faxa puts it in the net, but awaits the buzzer to confirm Dallas completing the comeback, and it's Robertson's 16th 
second of the game into an empty net as Chicago thanksgivingly away allows Dallas five unanswered in the third in Dallas's 6-4 home win. Winnipeg rookie Cole Perfetti scores seconds after a minute and a half into the game. Less than 30 seconds later, Dallas rookie Wyatt Johnson ties it. Teams trade goals again. Winnipeg's Jansen Harkins first of the year. Dallas's Jamie Benz tenth of the year at two all after 20. Winnipeg's Adam Lowry gets the lone goal of the middle frame for a Winnipeg 3-2 lead. Winnipeg's Kyle Connors goal puts the Jets up two, but a pair of goalie pulled Dallas goals, both by Jason Robertson, his 17th, 18th of the year, force overtime, including the controversial game-tying goal I talked about off the top. Winnipeg's Josh Morrissey's breakaway overtime winner, his second in back-to-back Winnipeg, played in extra time games in, and Winnipeg wins in Dallas 5-4 in overtime. Credit to Dallas for getting the comeback two goals to make it a three-point division game. Both Dallas and Colorado would the next night be playing back-to-backs with travel had Colorado's game in Nashville the night prior not been canceled. Colorado's Nathan McKinnon's power play goal and Josh Manson's goal give Colorado a 2-0 lead through 20. Teams trade goals, power play goal by Dallas's Joe Pawlowski and Colorado's Dryden Hunts first as an av to make it 3-1 Colorado after 40. Dallas, behind on the scoreboard, had a 36-20 shot and goal advantage through the first 40 minutes. And by the third, as the team not on the back-to-back, Colorado did take over with a 16-6 shot and goal advantage in the final period and an Andrew Cogliano goal to win at home 4-1 over Dallas. Dallas's Wyatt Johnson's second-period goal puts the Stars up in St. Louis 1-0 in a tight-checking division affair. Dallas's Ty Delandria makes it 2-0 in the third. St. Louis's Brandon Saad makes it a one-goal game before a defensive zone block shot created own partial breakaway goal by Jason Robertson, his 19th team leading, but I don't keep attention to it. I'm now aware the NHL's most goals now prior to Tuesday's games, and I'm recording this part prior to Vancouver's late game, but Bo Horvat is two behind and will play Tuesday. Dallas gets a Miro Haskin an empty netter to win 4-1 to on the road in St. Louis with backup goalie Scott Wedgwood in for an ill Jake Oninger at the last minute. If you are still sleeping on the Dallas Stars alignment, you might want to wake up. This is a playoff good team. At 8-2-3, and three, goalie Jake Oninger is proving what I felt two years ago would hold true. He would be a legit NHL starting goalie. He hasn't been perfect since returning from injury. In fact, while Stellar versus the Isles and also versus the division Avs, the Chicago game wasn't his finest, but a Dallas team with five different goal scorers turned up the offense and got their goalie that win too. It's something to take notice of. Both high-paid recovered from injury vets Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan during the goal-scoring tough years especially took well-documented heat that their AAVs made especially targets for them. Low-key last year, think Raddick Faxa could be added. Now, to me, last year, I think I was less harsh 
on Sagan because I felt he was showing signs of refinding his all-star form. This year, that's continued in a positive direction, and he's a key contributor to secondary scoring this team after the top line lacked. Ben, in early returns, is Hattie Knight. It was in Edmonton or Calgary, I think. It was Edmonton. I fact-checked. Well, it was an anomaly, right? No, in fact, it isn't. Ben's 10 goals is tied with Pavelski for second on the team. Only in two games played in the last seven has Ben been pointless. The other five, two-point games with three points versus the New York Islanders. And while tough as nails, Colorado defenseman Josh Manson got the better of Ben in the twos division game tilt, Ben still is the first to step up and against, while often, the other team's toughest SOB in saying that. It's still part of his game, and it still matters. What we aren't talking about, maybe, is how this love of the game may have been injected by playing with the younger Ty Delandria and rookie Wyatt Johnson as to why Ben is especially having fun again with that trademark grin and being impactful. And on Delandria, last year he played one game with the big club. What you probably forget is in the 56-game shortened sked, he showed promise in 27 games played, three goals, five points. Then, because of last year, even with 23 goals in the AHL, I didn't even really mention him on the depth chart when the year prior, he did look like the forward prospect most ready for NHL everyday duty. 23 games played, all Dallas's this year, as a everydayer. His game-tying third goal in the Chicago comeback matched his goal production of that two season ago in six less games played, Mark. The fourth goal was finishing off a three-way beauty from his line mates Wyatt Johnson and Jamie Benn versus St. Louis just the other night. Speaking of line mate rookie Johnson, also has played all 23 games for the team. Six goals, three assists for nine points. Combined, the three have 20 goals, over 23 games played, and that really, for a Dallas team a year ago, didn't have to go with the top-line production. That is, this year, with NHL goal leader Robertson's 19th, his linemates Pavelski's 10, and Rope Hintz's 8 goals, a combined 37 goals in total. Sagan and Machen Marchment combine for 11 more Dallas goals. If anything, we ought to give props to GM Jim Nill or whoever signed the AAVs on both Vesna talk-worthy goalie Jake Oninger and the NHL goal leader sensational Jason Robertson's deals because both were undervalue great team deals. And that's kept save for the forgotten high-priced backup Anton Hudobin, this roster's pieces all under the cap. That wasn't guaranteed that I was looking at Faxa's $3.25 million low production thinking he would be a cap casualty before the season started. Instead, you have a third-line paid defensively sound fourth line in his prime age center that's chipped in three goals in Faxa, looking like he will get back to the mid-team goal totals that got him that deal. And he did get the game winning comeback goal in the Chicago game. 
Faxa did play versus St. Louis between Sagan and Marchment as he was promoted up the lineup, in fact. By the way, it's another Peter DeBoer coach trademark, like was true in Vegas, the fourth line plays. It's near to 13 minutes per game. That's near three minutes more than most NHL teams attempt to use their fourth line, that 10-minute time on ice threshold, and it's way more than most really end up utilizing. What is gone from a year ago was clearly the checked-out Alexander Radulov. In his place, a gritty Mason Marchment who does deliver. And if you bemoan the seven-goal contribution of Michael Raffles' departure, it's time to watch more complete Dallas game film. It was a good team move, and that no other NHL team even gave a raffle a PTO. That, amongst NHL GMs, confirms it was a consensus, I'd say. And for all the lost D offense, let's not forget John Klingberg had five goals last year. He was defensively, as his team worst plus minus 28 confirms a year ago, a liability in his own end. The smaller, year younger than cornerstone D. Miro Haskinen, Niles Lundqvist, isn't the team's worst plus minus this year, and a steal before the season trade pieced Dallas's D group six into place. In fairness, Colin Miller likely on new coach Pete DeBoer's recommendation, because he did play in Vegas, got at it as well. The two right-handy both make under $3 million combined and give more overall value at both ends of the rink than the $8 million Klingberg does. Dallas's D group, while really who I only miss is Jamie Oleksiak from the Bubble Cup run, all log 17-plus average time on ice per game. It's well distributed, even with workhorse cornerstone Haskinen near his expected 25 minutes a game time on ice. Even vet Joel Hanley as the team's seventh is a safe, reliable, injury bottom pair replacement D-man when they want to insert him into the lineup. To the bizarre take his team to the final in his first year behind the bench DeBoer stat. He looks more than poised with this group to add another team to that unbelievable mark. The shootout loss, or any shootout, ceased to exist in the postseason. It's why I don't talk about the regular season skills competition when it costs teams really important points. It's unfortunate, but it is gone when the real season begins. Trust me, I think of Dallas versus Colorado's game in the first of two they played that we cover in this pod as being a tie. In fact, kind of wish the NHL simply still after five minutes OT just did it that way still. However, what could be worth paying attention to, but only as it relates to the division title in Dallas, Dallas did let Winnipeg snag the division head-to-head as all three games the teams play this year are completed. The other regulation loss and overtime loss of what looks like a solid division record otherwise for Dallas was to Colorado. Colorado and Dallas play two more times, and we'll see if the head-to-head versus Winnipeg and Colorado factor in who ends up first in the division. Just take a look at this, though. In five division games Dallas just played, two, one, and two, just feels like Dallas let valuable 
points slip away to the teams Dallas most didn't want to do it to. The two wins over St. Louis and Chicago. The 0-1-2 record was versus Winnipeg and Colorado. Dallas extended top-line center Rope Hintz in the final year of a $3.1 million average annual valuation deal to a new eight-year $8.45 million AAV deal that begins next year that is equal to Dallas Cornerstone defenseman Miro Haskinen's AAV. I'm sure the timing of announcing it as Dallas welcomes Anaheim and former star defenseman John Klingberg to town is merely coincidence. Dallas division head-to-head record 6-2-2. December starts a five-game homestand Thursday with lowly, unwatchable Anaheim. And another division rival game versus Minnesota. Home games versus Eastern Conference teams, Toronto, Ottawa, and Detroit round out that stand. It's an equally long in-games five road trip in less days after that for Dallas. Winnipeg has the division best 690 point percentage, 14, 6, and 1, 29 points in 21 games played after a 5, 2, and 0 record since our last pod to stay second, one point behind Dallas, but having two games in hand. Four points up on Colorado, who have one game in hand on Winnipeg. Anaheim gets a delayed penalty goal in the first. Winnipeg, a power play goal in the second. Winnipeg takes the lead to have it tied up by Anaheim 28 seconds after, but with under a minute left in regulation. Kyle Connors, one-timer, completes his hat trick to give Winnipeg a 3-2 home win as Winnipeg goalie Connor Hallebuck outduels Anaheim goalie John Gibson. Less than a minute into the third, Pittsburgh scored the opening goal in a defensively sound game by the Pens and Jets. The insurance comes with less than two minutes left as the attempt to pull Winnipeg goalie Connor Hellebeck leads to a gift Pittsburgh goal instead when Helly is caught in no man's land. Pittsburgh had an empty net goal to take a 3-0 road win on Winnipeg who couldn't solve Pittsburgh goalie Tristan Jari. Winnipeg's Pierre-Luc Dubois' breakaway first period goal, Mikey Isamon's first NHL goal in the second, and Josh Morrissey's third period goal just under four minutes into the third has Winnipeg up 3-0. Carolina get three goals with the goalie pulled in the last 4.48 of regulation to force overtime. Morrissey's second goal of the game on a breakaway in overtime has Winnipeg win 4-3 in overtime at home. Winnipeg's Kyle Connor's sixth goal in the second cut a Minnesota three-goal lead by one after 40. During the 10-minute stretch, Winnipeg played well in the 60-minute drubbing in Minnesota. Three more third-period Minnesota goals, however, was the Thanksgiving away Jets getting outplayed in a 6-1 road loss to division rival Minnesota. So much so, I put the game summary for this in the Minnesota section to reflect the team that showed up to play the game, not based on the standings. Covered in the Dallas segment and off the top was Winnipeg's 5-4 road win in Dallas. That wasn't a regulation win the fate Winnipeg probably deserved. Still, it makes the now-completed division series between the teams 2-1-0 for Winnipeg and 1-1-1 for Dallas. It's a mere point advantage for Winnipeg in the division head-to-head. Winnipeg's Jansen Harkins goal opened scoring in Chicago for a 1-0 lead after 20 minutes. Winnipeg's Saku Menelainen's first of two goals in a combined six-goal middle frame. 
It saw Chicago's Taylor Radish score, Winnipeg's Cal Connors power play goal one-timer, Menaline in second, Chicago's off-the-back bar, Jujar Kara's power play bounce goal, and Winnipeg's Mark Scheifele's team leading at the time 11th to have it 5-2 Winnipeg after 40 minutes. The third had Winnipeg's Pierre-Luc Dubois get his ninth and 10th of the season with a pair including a power play goal that Scheifele was as near to the other likely goal scorer stick possibility of it. Winnipeg 7-2 road win in Chicago. Blake Wheeler's power play goal opens the scoring in the first for Winnipeg to lead 1-0 on Colorado. A pair of Winnipeg's second period goals, Josh Morrissey and Wheeler's second, make it 3-0 through the middle frame. A Colorado successful coach challenge also took an early second Mark Scheifele goal off the board as Wheeler made contact with Colorado goalie Alexander Gorgiev 2.06 into the second. A minute 22 seconds into the third, Winnipeg's Mark Scheifele's team leading 12th and Wheeler completed his hat trick as Winnipeg win 5-0 at home to Division Colorado. 40 save shutout for Connor Hellebuck, his third of the year. The Kyle Connor hat trick fueled Anaheim win was well against Anaheim. Don't get too high on it. Winnipeg followed it, getting shut out at home to Pittsburgh. Played solid, but allowed three six-on-five unanswered in the third to blow a three-goal lead to win in overtime over Carolina close, and then get handed by being completely at work a deserved 6-1 loss in Minnesota. It was trending as though injuries were catching up to Winnipeg, but Winnipeg is now on a three-game win streak after that, all against division teams, including Dallas and Colorado, the teams Winnipeg is competing for the top spot with. After the Minnesota division road loss, Winnipeg's latest three division wins, although needing OT, Winnipeg responds in head coaches Rick Bonus's return to Dallas with the overtime win. Winnipeg also maintained a full 60-minute effort in Chicago to win 7-2 and returned home to beat a depleted forward group Colorado team 5-0. Despite the Minnesota loss, Winnipeg goalie Connor Halbeck has been the team's best player. 11-5-1 record, 2.29 goals against average, .931 save percentage, 3 shutouts, and a 10.6 goal saved above expected, according to Money Puck, that is prior to the shutout versus Colorado. So the mark probably has improved. If you're wondering why Winnipeg is where they are division-wise, he's the key point. Heck, backup goalie David Riddick has been adequate. 3-1-0 record and looks as though the gameplay distribution for the goalies is mapped out to keep both in a proper rhythm. And while the D-group defensively still has its moments... And again, let's toss out the whole team taking the night off in Minnesota. The team defense is better, especially, I feel, the center ice in the defensive zone, or F1, is better this year. And the team's best defenseman, Josh Morrissey, is reaching his next level offensively. He's leading the Jets in scoring with 25 points in 21 games played, and that's over a point-per-game pace. There are some games missed by Dylan DeMello and Dylan Sandberg, and let's just say Logan Stanley's injury absence quietly gives a lot of the Winnipeg fan base less to complain about. Still, it's the forwards that really help the D structure improvement, and the D have likewise helped the offensive side for this team under Coach Rick Bonus, something missing in the past. 
in a different way, Nick Ehlers only having played two games played is equally a hit to Winnipeg as Gabe Landeskog not being able to play for Colorado is. The remaining firepower needs to compensate for it. Coach bonus swap center so Mark Shifley is with rookie Cole Perfetti and former captain Blake Wheeler. Three goals, five assists in the last three games play, and dare I say it, a point off 20 points, point per game production for Wheeler now. Rookie Perfetti, a goal, four assists, and two goals, two assists in three games played for Shifley. It's also reunited Pierre-Luc Dubois with Kyle Connor, who for all his lack of goal-scoring talk is a point-per-game player, eight goals, 13 assists, 21 points, and 21 games played. Dubois, 10 goals, 10 assists, 20 points, as near to it as you could be. Shifley ranks fifth, first in goals on the Winnipeg team. However, in Nick Ehlers seems endless absence with Mason Appleton out as well. Still, there has been a revolving door trying to find a line mate fit for now Dubois and Connor. Third line wingers for Adam Lowry with Mason Appleton out and just returned Morgan Barron also greatly affected this team, yet the replacements had done admirably. It's shown Winnipeg has more forward depth than anticipated. Saku Menelainen and Mikey Essamont with Lowry has been consistent. Blake Wheeler's four-point game versus Colorado put his stats at top six value, and he has played all 21 positionally in the top six. And if you ask me how to get more from rookie Cole Perfetti, keeping him with the vet, also primarily passer like Wheeler, wasn't my first choice. However, Mark Shifley between them all of a sudden has both Perfetti finding his stride and the score sheet with more frequency and Wheeler too. And it was something Winnipeg needed to untap. The wheels I've been so hard on are effectively rolling as Blake is determined to prove me wrong and good on him. In fact, fourth line center David Gustafson has been surprisingly playing well all this year with Ehlers and Appleton out and Alex Janssen Fialbi, Morgan Barron and Sam Gagne all put up with Dubois and Connor to find a match at some point. I wonder if simply giving Lowry a try on the wing and moving Gus up to third line center isn't something Winnipeg ought to try. Just one of Jansen Harkins, Dominic Toninato, or Sam Gagne would have to play fourth line center, but they're all centers that are able to do that. The drawback to Lowry on the wing might be not having his ability in the faceoff dot. The other that's becoming evident is that regardless of his line mates, he seems to be carrying his own line at value minutes. As much as I want a top pair quality stay-at-home right-hand defenseman opposite Josh Morrissey for, what, three years running? If you look at teams that early on look to be deadline sellers, it's slim to know picking an appropriate addition in that spot. A top six right wing absolute would help Till Ehlers, Winnipeg's best left wing on his off wing, returns. Still, it would be insurance for another top six Winnipeg injury and somehow still has to be a good player fit as well however you slice it Winnipeg I still stand by there is a GM deficiency created personnel issue Winnipeg needs to overcome with the makeup of this team it could be like a right hand D and a top six right wing in full health from actually being corrected but at present 
That's what goalie Connor Hellebuck and coach Rick Bonus in his line construction and D pairings has to continually overcome, even with the Jets at full health. And the Jets, like Colorado, have had to find ways to win when that hasn't been the case. And both teams to this point nearly equally have. Winnipeg's season will be defined by Hellebuck's play and the two-way hard work of everybody else if Winnipeg's to be a playoff-bound team. Winnipeg's forward organization depth in the bottom six is showing to be way better than anticipated in a positive way too. Winnipeg's division head-to-head record 8-2-0. December starts with three more at home with Columbus, Anaheim, and Florida. The remaining three home stretch are all winnable games against teams with some former Jet coaches and players, and well to me, a must-win game over Dumpster Fire Anaheim as well. After Winnipeg plays two division road games in St. Louis and Chicago on a back-to-back. Colorado goes 4-2-0 over the last six and at 12-7-1, 25 points. 625 point percentage in 20 games played, stay third, four points behind Winnipeg, who are second, with Colorado having a game in hand. The forward injuries are absolutely piling up on the Avs. A Colorado power play goal is the lone first period tally. Carolina tie it till Colorado's Alex Newhook's breakaway tuck restores the one goal lead. Carolina tied in the third to force overtime, where Colorado's Arturi Lekkinen one times home the 3 2 overtime winning goal for Colorado, who get an otherworldly 46 save performance from backup goalie Pavel Francouz and steal two points on 15 shots on goal on the road. Late first period, Colorado's Kale McCarr's 5-on-3 power play goal open scoring. Nathan McKinnon adds to it in the second, and two more Colorado third period goals beat former Avs goalie Darcy Kemper, while Colorado goalie Alexander Gorgiev makes 32 saves for his first shutout in Colorado's 4-0 road win in Washington. Although Colorado took the Division 3-2 shootout road win over Dallas and Colorado goalie Alexander Gorgiev picked up the shootout win with 11 less saves than Dallas goalie Ottinger, other than Colorado's first power play goal on their first opportunity, they finished one for six in the game. Colorado had five more power play chances than Dallas in that game. Takes Vancouver 21 seconds to open the scoring in Colorado, a pair by Miko Rantanen, the second, a power play goal. His team leading 13th at the time does have Colorado up 2-1 after one. After Vancouver's, Connor Garland has a goalie interference taking off the board correctly goal. The teams do trade goals in the second. Colorado's Kale McCars power play blast, a five-on-three tally with a McKinnon-McCarr switch from the point and dot spot. It was triggered by a four-minute high-stick penalty to Vancouver defenseman Tyler Myers that had Rantanen leave the game to return with the third in progress. 3-2 Avs through 40. Yet Vancouver gets two unanswered goals in the third to win 4-3 on the road as Colorado ends up in a thanks giving away the game in the final 20. Colorado's game in Nashville gets postponed to a water main break in Bridgestone Arena. No make date on the game has been announced. It did make me wonder if there wasn't a 5,000-seat cola drink in a nearby Nashville area, though. 
as covered in the Dallas section next night with Colorado not on back-to-backs and Dallas having done so, and expected 4-1 Avs home win, factoring in that benefit. However, shout-out, not shout-out, to Colorado goalie Alexander Gorgiev, especially through the first two periods. He was stellar, finishing with one goal against 41 saves in picking up his 10th win. The Colorado 5-0 loss in Winnipeg can be best described by quoting Colorado coach Jared Bednar post-game. We had some hard-working guys, but when you're a short, depleted roster, you can't have any passengers, and we just had too many of them tonight. What's strange isn't the 4-2-0 record over this stretch of games, but in fact how Colorado arrived at it. If not for backup goalie Pavel Francouz versus Carolina, it's doubtful Colorado gets a point, let alone both, in that road win. Yet the team dropped a winnable home game to Vancouver that also saw Francouz take the loss between the pipes. Colorado arrives to me at the same place, however, if those games went how we would have expected them to. Trouble is, given Francois's Carolina game performance, it's disappointing the Avs weren't on a more extended win streak. The Vancouver loss also has Francois in net and at a 2-4-0 record, even with his better play of late for the year. Starting goalie Alexander Gorgiev has been so far better than advertised, and his contract looks to be a steal of one for a 10-3-1 starting NHL goalie. That's a big reason Colorado is near the division top again when you think about all their injuries. On D, Sam Girard missed six games played, but also Bowen Byram has missed double digits now, and what at full health is probably the NHL's D group best six. The replacement value is a steep drop-off comparatively, yet it still leaves with one or even two out Colorado having the guys for a more than capable top four D group. That's why it probably isn't as noticeable as it would be to some teams. One guy that always has low-key underappreciated bottom-level injury replacement value is Jacob McDonald. He is now at 13 games played this year. And what I hope for happily was a short-lived audition for off-season addition to the D, Andreas Englund. He was noticeably terrible in four games played. When over several years, I couldn't say anything about who Colorado dressed even in injury replacement. Englund ran into goalie Francois playing the puck that Carolina tied before Colorado's OT win. Colorado probably wins even being well outshot in regulation if that goal against created by England's poor play doesn't occur. Likewise, it's an out-of-position cross-check by England that assists in Dallas's Jason Robertson goal, another game Colorado needed a shootout to win. The England cross-check hinders goalie Gorgiev making the stop. In fact, Robertson's momentum probably helps the goal crossing the goal line, and without the poor defensive play, Dallas doesn't even score it. Gave the division leading stars a point in the standings, England since has been sent back down to the minors. The forward group top six hasn't had Captain Gabe Landeskog all year. It's without Valerie Nishnushkin, who had a great start and was tied for the goal-scoring team lead, but he's missed 13 games now. 
Fourth-line vet Darren Helm also hasn't played a game. Colorado needed other forwards to step up, and Evan Rodriguez was one of them who has been an off-season pickup who has contributed, but he left the game versus Vancouver and hasn't played since, listed now as a lower body injury. Alex Newhook has had to take on a bigger role and is less insulated by quality line mates at the same time. And fourth-line wingers Alex Cogliano and Logan O'Connor have also been forced to play up into Colorado's top nine, then be fourth-liners with Helm most of the season. By Winnipeg, they were playing in the top six. It all has an effect that still Colorado has found a way to get points to be near the division top of the standings. It's impressive, but nowhere near ideal circumstances for the defending champs. By the Winnipeg, Colorado was doing emergency call-ups that had prospect Jean-Luc Foudy play his first NHL game versus Winnipeg. The same night, just signed to an NHL contract after a training camp injury had forward Alex Galchenyuk playing for the AHL Eagles once he got healthy in the lineup for his first NHL game this year as well. And because of it, the ownership of driving the team displayed by Nate McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, and Kale McCarr has been super impressive to watch. They have had to step up to make up for holes in this Colorado roster, and they have absolutely been doing it. It caught up to them in Winnipeg, but Jet fans don't want to hear the wingers of the fourth line Avs Cup winning team were second line wingers with an entire bottom six, save for Alex Newhook of the forward group, that was made up of AHL roster call ups that at full health Colorado wouldn't be dressing a single one of. I'd be ripping on a Winnipeg effort if they didn't win versus that lineup. But forgive me when I say anyone who calls that a statement game is absolutely only fooling themselves to call it that. Winnipeg had to find a line to shut down Colorado's elite one, and they successfully did that. But they also had a line mismatch on the forward lines two through four. The points are important. Division points are always are. But Colorado is in a challenging spot until some vitally key players to take pressure off of the superstars playing against good playoff-bound teams return. However, even a lesser Colorado roster can collect points over a better half of NHL teams provided they get as they have excellent goaltending. Colorado's division had to have record 5-2-1. Thursday, Colorado starts December, continuing east on the road to play in Buffalo, Boston, and Philadelphia. Colorado returned home for two games versus Boston and the New York Rangers. Only the pair of Boston are with Colorado's current injuries, not ideal timing. Colorado plays a division game in St. Louis after the Rangers. That wraps up part one of this three-part podcast. Up next, Minnesota, Nashville, and St. Louis in part two. And instead of goalie masks, we turn our attention to goalposts intentionally coming off by goalies as our lead.